0: It's Sunday, August 25th, and you are listening to In the Wheelhouse. ITW is a spontaneous discussion between two old friends on the Chicago Cubs and baseball and motion picture-related topics. I'm Tom Hockney.
1: And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on ITW, former big leaguers Luis Castillo and Octavio Dotel are in some hot water. The last-place Orioles set a rather dubious record as their time in Baltimore may be coming to an end. It's Players Weekend. We'll look at the good and the bad. The Chicago Cubs put together a thrilling five-game win streak until John Lester lays an egg. We'll have all that, including a discussion on our favorite foreign films. Tom, how are you doing?
0: I'm a little punchy
1: today. (laughs) (laughs) You were a little frisky in the pre-show chat. I gotta (laughs) say. I gotta say. I I like that. So, I like your energy. I like where you're at today. So, So uh...
0: Well, I appreciate that. You know, there's a kind of a chill in the air, and that must mean that football season is around the corner.
1: And, 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 you know, it's funny because for the first time in several years, I am looking forward to the Chicago Bears uh, season as a welcome distraction from the stress of the baseball season. I agree. You know, and, and then I got my fantasy football draft a little later this weekend a little later today actually so uh that that's are are you all
0: all ready do you have all your cheat sheets uh, i have my cheat
1: sheets all the stuff from from uh the athletic i printed it all out i'm ready to roll i'm I'm gonna the, the beauty of this is that uh you know i'm playing with a lot of fathers and their sons and a lot of these guys let their sons make picks and things like that so if i'm Vigilant, I can get some good values, you know, especially right. pick some guys up because you know these kids tend to go with players they like as opposed to players who might really be productive. Well,
0: so. you know, I played fantasy football for 25 years, starting in 1989. Yeah, you and were I, one I, of the original. I, yeah, yeah. You know. And I, I retired in 2014. I've 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 been ecstatic ever since. And one of the reasons <laughs> why I, I I stopped liking it is. Is that it just it stopped me from being a, a, a football fan specifically of the Chicago Bears and I was starting to root for against my own interests, you know, yeah, I was, right. kind of, was kind of like a Trump voter. Uh but uh after a while it just kind of kind of got to it was a lot of work. I ran the league. Um, a lot of fun, but a lot of work. And uh I'm like you, I'm looking forward to the Bears. So my advice to you is take the Bears kicker with your first pick.
1: <laughs> you know, it, it it's funny that you mentioned it though. You, you still, even though you don 't play fantasy football, you still work as a consultant don 't yeah. you consult <laughs> yeah. on your brother yeah. no, <laughs> you know? well actually
0: I, I used to actually that stopped now it 's nothing but for nothing. a couple okay. years, a friend of mine in Detroit would have me online. I actually picked his draft <laughs> his sons thought he was doing it, but actually I was the one doing it that, it was, that, that was actually kind of fun because that was a low impact thing but i 'm I'm hap- I'm, I agree with you, I think that The Bears are in the right direction. They had a tremendous season last year. We know they 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 broke our hearts because uh, uh, a kicker couldn't get a ball through the the uprights basically all season long. Their kicking was their uh, Achilles heel. And um, this year is one of those weird years when you have a season where you come from basically last place to winning 13 games or whatever they won last year. I think it was 13 games, and that is – are they going to win ten or eight this year, or are they going to win fourteen you know right, exactly. they're, at, they're at that fork in the road where it they could regress a little bit or they could end up you know challenging for the Super Bowl at one point last year that the team reminded me of the eighty four bears yeah. prior to them winning that that was very similar to the to that team so hopefully this is this will be a really big year because I think. It's, it's going to be if they're either they're either going to improve slightly and really challenge in the playoffs or they may take one or two steps backwards.
1: Well, and, and one thing I do want to also mention uh, about the Bears is I think that Bears fans need to kind of manage their expectations. You know, they were 12 and four last year and then they 12, lost four. a play. Then they lost a playoff game to Philadelphia. So they lost five games all year long and all five games were all five losses were within a single touchdown. Yeah. So yeah. they were in every single game. Correct. They had a chance right down to the end. And as a fan, that's really all I can ask. You know. For sure. That, so anyway, so let's get to baseball. And I want to begin with uh, former major leaguers, Octavio Dotel and Luis Castillo. And this yeah. is not the Luis Castillo who pitches for the Reds. This is right. the former second baseman for the Mets and the Marlins. Both of them have been implicated in a drug trafficking bust in the Dominican Republic. So, uh, but the, the, the story on NPR didn't really go into very much detail as to what they're accused of doing, but it does not look good.
0: No, it does not look good. And, and when, when I read the article, I kept thinking of big poppy throughout the entire thing, because mm. apparently this, uh, drug kingpin, who is who was the real target of this investigation, um, is is somebody in the Dominican Republic this is not a uh, little operation this operation is very sophisticated and um, again like I said I kept thinking about Big Poppy and what what happened to him and why it happened to him and was there any connections between the people that shot him and this um, this drug kingpin um, but the interesting thing is is that Castillo who won a World Series with uh, with uh, Miami um, back in two thousand and three, and Dotel, who's a former Tiger pitcher, uh, yeah, pitcher, right.
1: Well, he um, he pitched for just about everybody. Correct, <laughs>
0: correct. He he was. Uh, he, he was uh, Mr. Jackson before Mr. Jackson was mr. Jackson, right. uh, but so it 'll be interesting to see you know how that kind of shakes out. These are two big names, and i don 't know what they 're not saying if they were drug runners, if they were if they fi- helped finance the operation, uh, but these guys are in hot hot water
1: yeah they are they 're in big trouble and, and it really really leads me to ask a question that if you if you consider uh, Luis Castillo, Octavio Dotel, and, and former White Sox pitcher Esteban Loaiza, which of the, yeah. three, of the three pitchers who've been implicated in drug trafficking, which one had the best career? You know? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know,
0: I'm, I'm kind of uh, – I, I would say that Loaiza did on Loaiza because he was on my fantasy baseball team for a couple of years. When he first came – broke into the majors, he was a really great yeah, starting pitcher. Uh, For a so couple I'm of years, he was great. Of, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. All of these guys are Midland-type um, players, ultimately. None of them are going to the Hall of Fame. But, but um, you know, it, it's just a sad story. I, I don't understand how you piss through the amount of money you make at the major league level in, in a country where millions of dollars is like being a billionaire. Yeah, you know, right, it, right, right. I just don't, I don't get how you go from, from that position to being in prison. I mean, I just don't get it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's something that they'll have to consider when they sit there behind bars. Yeah. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski. This is the original Carl Yastrzemski from the right. uh, Red Sox. He, he knows that it will be emotional to see his grandson, Mike, play at Fenway Park for the Giants yeah and I think I would probably understand how he feels i really would this
0: this is one of the feel good stories this year in the major leagues now Mike isremmsky, who is twenty nine years old yeah a very old, old rookie he's toiled old. in the minor leagues forever it 's a great story in the sense that he 's persevered yeah. you know the one thing that that his grandfather carl unfortunately mike 's dad passed away in two thousand and three or two thousand and four from a during a surgery to replace his hip unfortunately, yeah. it was kind of a tragedy um but You know, Carl, uh, who I was never a a huge fan of when he played, only because I thought the guy played forever to get the numbers that he achieved. But the reality is he's a damn near 100 win-above-replacement. He's a tremendous Hall of Famer with 3,400 hits and uh, 400 home runs. I looked at him completely differently this morning when I was researching for the show. I'm like, holy cow. Yes, he played till he was 44 years old. But the win above replacement is is better than most. I mean, there's there's only twenty or thirty people that have a a higher one than him. So it's just Mike is never going to be Carl Yostremski. Yep. Mike Mike is my guess is this could be his year. This could be like this as good as it gets, um, so to speak. I hope not because he's really kind of uh invigorated the the giants but you know he was traded from he was baltimore came through the baltimore organization and then ultimately was dealt to san francisco but to 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 be at where he's at now which he should finish with you know maybe 25 home runs or so certainly 20 home runs uh is extraordinary for for a journeyman player and i always root for those guys because i know they're playing for the love of the game
1: they really are. This is somebody who I mean, you toil you you break into the majors at the age of twenty-nine. I mean, that means you toiled in the minor leagues for a long time. And that Correct. means you love to play baseball. Correct. And, Correct. and and baseball needs guys like that. And I got to see him play when I saw the Cubs play in San Francisco. And you know, he's a good left-handed hitting uh outfielder yes he has powered all fields and uh he's a you know, fair, he's a pretty good defender too he really is he's an above average defender and uh you know it's uh it's exciting it really is. all right so uh remember those two thousand and three tigers yeah they you lost certainly they lost
0: do. they lost hundred and nineteen games
1: ouch that is terrible
0: mike mike Maroth lost twenty games as a pitcher that's the last time that's happened, and it was the first time it had happened in 20 years prior to that. Wow. And so there's a, there's a good chance that based on the way pitching is so specialized today that we won't see that happen again. I hope not because I want to see pitchers win 20 games and occasionally lose 20 games. I believe uh, Wilbur Wood on the Sox won 20 and lost 20 in one year. In the
1: same season. That yeah. is absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, the knuckleballer. I mean, can you imagine f- over 40 decisions I mean, he he was like, he was like 22 and 20, you know? Yes, I can only because I lived through it. And as (laughs) as a tiger
0: fan, I remember Wilbur Wood, if I'm not mistaken, we talked about this last year. I think he started both ends of a doubleheader. He did.
1: He he did that too.
0: That that is mind boggling. It is.
1: That is is. mind boggling. But only because he's the knuckleballer could he do that. But, uh, so
0: this, this story kind of is, uh, in five thirty eight, the great, uh, political polling website of, uh, Nate silver, Um, It makes a parallel between the 2003 Tigers and this year's Tiger team, which is is mired in in the basement and the bottom of all major league teams. And basically what they're saying is is that this particular team will lose or targeted to lose 111 games, which that is an extraordinary number. And also four teams in the majors will lose 100 games this year. So um, Baltimore is no longer the worst team in the majors. The Tigers are. But the Tigers are a little bit different than Baltimore. The Tigers, when, when they lost in 2003, they were in the World Series in 2006. And the reason is, is because they stockpile players. They're trying to do that now. There's no mystery to what the Tigers are doing. They want the, the big draft picks. They want to finish in last place, which is a little bit different than 2003. 2003 was – Alan, uh, you know, Hall of Famer Alan Trammell was the manager and he, you know, he had the patience of Job as, as this team, <laughs> basically every single game went out there knowing that they probably were going to lose. And so this kind of dovetails into a, 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 a big story that occurred earlier this week, earlier this week on Wednesday, hmm. the Tigers were set to face Jace uh, Justin Verlander and the Houston Astros and Houston. Was listed as a minus five hundred favorite with uh, with Las Vegas, the sports books in Las Vegas.
1: And that, just uh, just just to clarify, that means if you're listed at minus five hundred, that means you have to bet five hundred dollars in order to win one hundred dollars.
0: That is correct. That which is I was just I, thank you for filling our 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 fan in on that because yes. that is that's absolutely correct. And so that is so that's such a big deal in the gambling world it hadn't happened i think since like 1982 or 83 um and um and so they played the game it was a really close game the game the, you, know, Verlander was great, he, you he know was
1: pitching great he was
0: pitching well it, it ended up uh being uh, uh, the final score was 2 to 1 robinson chirino's who ha- at that point in the game had a home run a double and a single was trying to get a triple <laughs> oh, that's and right. And he
1: was he's thrown... trying to get a triple to hit for the cycle. He was he's thrown throwing. out at third base, yeah. And the Tigers win the game, they yeah. win two to one.
0: Which yeah, I'm right. telling you right now, Vegas is not happy about that. No,
1: they're but... they're thrilled because everybody bet on it. The sportsbooks loved it, yeah. But
0: they, me? no, but no, the reason why they're not thrilled is because they paid out a lot. You have no. to understand. Oh, they didn't pay uh, out. No, no, they did. I read. Uh, they uh, did a hundred dollar
1: oh, okay. bet got, got you five hundred dollars. No, that's not how that works. But who they, was nuts enough to bet on the Tigers?
0: Well, that's, uh, enough people that that, that 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 there was a payout. But the point the point of all of it is is that that should never have happened. No, uh, it never Ber- should. Have pitched his ass off, and the Tigers won two to one. And but after the game, something really controversial and bizarre occurred, and I, that's the reason why I even added this, yeah, this, this seems... item into our show today, and that is, after the game, the Astros blocked Detroit Free Press writer Anthony Fenish from the clubhouse, and he, it, it, and basically Verlander said if Fenish was in the clubhouse, he wasn't speaking to reporters. And so wow, this is a big controversial issue, um, and apparently Verlander felt that Fennish, when he wrote for Detroit, wrote some disparaging things about Verlander, which he hasn't forgotten. Um, And uh, basically the Astros capitulated and agreed to keep uh, Fennish out out? as long as Verlander was speaking while he was in there. This is really, really a very bad precedent, let me tell you, especially in the world we live in today. Um, and so I've got a very strong feeling about this. I don't know what your feeling is about it, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot l- keep sports writers out from doing their job
1: just because you don't like what they're saying or writing about That's, you? Yeah, Are you no, insane? It, no, I it, completely agree with you, Tom. It's a terrible precedent. If If, if we can allow these players... To just say, well, I don't like that guy. He was an asshole to me. I mean, right. it, it, it's just, it, it, it really, I don't know. It, it just chisels away at sort of the pillars of, of a free press and, and what we're trying to do here. And I don't know this guy, Fetish. You probably know him better than I do. I do. I mean, do you know what he wrote about? Was he unfair to hey, Verlander? Well, Fetish could be, um, he could be a little caustic
0: in his writing, but it wasn't anything that was beyond the pale. I think what you have here, first of all, this could have been resolved easily. Berliner could have just said, "Okay, bring all the reporters in, and just not spoken to them." Just not speaking. Yeah, right. right. Now you make a big story out of it. It's going to be on your, uh, you know, it's going to be on your. It's going
1: on your permanent record. It's going on your baseball (laughs)
0: epitaph. The fact that you're a (laughs) Hall of Fame pitcher that was so thin-skinned and so petty. About something uh, that a sport who cares about you don't
1: even you don't even play there anymore you know what I mean you're you're with the Astros you've won a World Series your career has been completely rejuvenated can't you put this behind you right you know right, right. Yeah, and it's it, just, let's forget that that's a Detroit runner say it was
0: a huge say it was a national right it doesn't really matter the idea that you are that that you're this. Uh, upset about something somebody wrote about you is you, how thin skinned are you justin yeah. this it's, it's really a poor reflection on you however i think baseball has to step in and say sorry Ast- astros you can't do that yeah you Cannot. can't do that yeah. if, if this guy is a, a a writer with credentials he must yeah. be allowed to be in just like every other writer just because you don't like what he writes about you so tough tough
1: noogie And that's not to say that writers shouldn't be held accountable for, for, for disparaging things that they write inflammatory disparaging things. But, but again, it it, it speaks back to the fact that this man is credentialed, you know, he's from a legitimate news organization that, that major league baseball needs this kind of coverage to, to, to advance its purposes. I don't know. It's a real, you're right. This is a terrible thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I think like uh, Craig Calitaria on uh, the NBC uh, website basically says baseball's got to step in. I agree 100 percent with them. They have to, they have to not only step in but make a precedent that this can't happen again. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I did, I also wanted to kind of uh, mention just as a as a side note about uh, the great uh, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, the Atlanta <laughs> Braves, the 21 year old. Um, Jeez. He became the second player ever with the, uh, the second youngest player ever, I should say, with the 30-home or 30-steal season. Only Trout, the great Mike Trout, did it younger than him. Why that's extraordinary is not so much about the 30 home runs, which some players have before the yeah. second or third month of the season,
1: but it's the 30 steals yeah, that, I, right. that I'm
0: impressed with, because nowadays that's a lot.
1: 30, it is a lot. 30 nobody today steals. is like
0: 50 yeah. in the old days.
1: Yeah, nobody steals these days and, and a 30-30 season by anyone. Uh, is certainly uh, quite an accomplishment. So, you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of great young players. We're seeing some of these guys. We're seeing great young players in the Cubs National Series. You know, but this Acuna, I also want to mention, did you see how the Marlins threw at him again? Yeah. And uh, that was terrible. I I don't know what they – why the Marlins and Mattingly do this to him. Yeah. But it's just – it's ridiculous and it needs to stop and they need to be fined or suspended or something. You know, somebody
0: the the Marlins are really interesting in the sense that they're still drawing only 10,000 fans for their home games. And I just uh, we're going to talk about the Orioles here in a second in that issue. But I I just I don't understand. Miami, you're going to lose that franchise. I just I I don't get it.
1: All right. So uh, speaking of terrible franchises, uh, we're going to talk about the Orioles here. They tie a major league uh, record. For most home runs allowed in a season, and it's only August. We still have more than a month of the season to play. This right. is crazy.
0: So it's like it's at now at around 260 home runs, and I think like 240 of them are to, to uh, judge on the Yankees.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say like you know most of those were by the Yankees. The Yankees just abused the Orioles pitchers all year long. Right. But I mean, this is again, this is the state of affairs in baseball these days. We are seeing just these wild anomalies, these crazy things happening. Um, Is it sustainable? Is it good for the sport overall? Is it the kind of thing we want uh, baseball to be? I don't know. I
0: Um, do know. The answer is no. We need to go back to 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 Whitey Herzog ball, uh, in my opinion, back to the old where you had a lot of stolen bases where you had guys moving runners over, and home runs were not such a premium, and neither were strikeouts the way the strikeouts and home runs being as high as they are it's just it's just a cloud on the game of baseball. They need to fix the baseball itself, which they're committed to doing. But also, I think they, the worst thing that ever occurred in the post-steroid era was the launch angle, the more I think about it, because it's, it's an all-or-nothing approach at the plate. And baseball used to be hit it to all fields. If you could hit it to the opposite field, you were somebody. If you could move a runner over, that
1: was really something that was respected. It was it something it, that it, was it, respected, but, but as salaries increased, it isn't something that got you paid. You know, you well, think about Mike Muncie, who they try not to. Yeah, well, But they tried to teach him to use the whole, uh, the, you know, to, to hit the ball from foul pole to foul pole, to stay inside, yeah. you know, to have a flat plane. And then he completely retooled his swing to uppercut, and he's hitting 30, 40 home runs, and he's going to make a lot of money. And it, it, it revived you know, his career. You're going to see it, guys
0: do that. It reminds yeah. me back in the day when the, when the, the immortal Tony Gwynn was, uh, I don't know, he was probably five or six seasons into his hall of fame career where he decided he was going to try to hit home runs one year. I think it was in the late eighties and, uh, he was competing w- w- in on the national league side on the American league side was Wade Boggs. Every year it was those two were basically winning the bat- batting title. And so, so one year, uh, Gwen, who struggled to hit home runs but only because he was such a great hitter. He's one of the greatest contact base hitters that there was. The game is known as the best I've ever seen. He actually hit a, a ton of home runs because he tried to hit home runs. Oh. And I know that Muncie, it, 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 you know, you're right. Chicks dig the long ball. He's probably making a lot more money. Is it good for the game of baseball? No, it is not. I think No, it's, it's, it's not.
1: But, I mean, it's, it's hard to ask an individual who's trying to get paid. Well, you can't. Yeah, you can't.
0: You know. I, I, I don't think you'll be successful, but you know, going Carl Ustromsky reading that article talks about the thing that he's most proud of, of Mike, is that he hits to all fields. Yeah, he, he yeah. will hit a baseball to all fields, and he, he obviously he spent these toils so long in the minors that he's practiced it. I just think it's a lost art. I, when I say it is a lost art, we talked about this all last year. When you see the shift, I would spend eight hours a day hitting against the shift if some some team was defensively configuring me like that where they put all the infielders on the other side of the field. I would hit the other way. I would do it all day until, until they stopped doing that to me.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, um, and, and this brings us to another issue with the Baltimore Orioles yeah. that, uh, you know, their owner, Peter Angelos, is very, very sick. He's in his 90s. He's pretty yeah. much retired from uh, running yes. the day-to-day operations and sort of has left that to his sons. Attendance for the Orioles is just, it's it's the worst in the majors. No, no one knows that. No, oh, not. The, no, the,
0: not. the Marlins are the worst? The Marlins are the worst. What the Orioles' distinction is is the biggest drop-off from last year. Last year they were at 20,000 as an average. Now they're at 16. So their minus is a little more than 4,000 fans a game. That's a lot. And they're the
1: second – you know what it is? They're the second worst attendance in the the American League. Yeah. So, yeah. And
0: 16 is bad. The Reds have to over 20, you know, which is good because they they were – a couple years ago, they were struggling with that too. But the Marlins is the low watermark at 10,000 fans.
1: But, I mean – But when you consider, too, like teams like the Royals (laughs) or the Reds or the Marlins, which have these kind of external factors that contribute to their low attendance, the Orioles used to fill that ballpark, Camden Yards, regularly. They always had good attendance, but now... Not,
0: not just that, ha- having attended the very... Uh, I think Joe and I, Joe Side and I attended the second or third game ever at Camden Yards. That is one of the greatest baseball parks in the majors. Mm. So there's a tragedy that would occur if they even think about moving Baltimore, which is what they're talking about.
1: Well, I mean, and, and, and part of this has to do with the fact that, number one, they're a terrible team. Yes. But number two, you know, also because... The Nationals moved from Montreal, where they were the expos, to Washington, D.C., and that has bled some of that uh, attendance yes. away from them. It really has made a difference Th- that, that that area may not be able to support two teams.
0: Th- that coupled with the fact that Angelo's um, sons are running the team and they're running it in... into
1: the ground. Right. But I they're add.
0: well, well they're, yeah. they're based in Nashville, and the thought is. They want to move the Orioles to Nashville, and I'm just saying if 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 that if if Camden Yards becomes a ghost town that yeah. would be one of one of baseball's greatest tragedies i'm telling that's really well. such a great ballpark i have enormous respect for that place
1: and this is a this is a proud organization this is an organization yeah. that has one world series that has had great players play for them a lot of history and connection to that city and it would be it would be a sad day if they if they left and and you know maybe it's just sort of the stigma left over from when this team originally was the st louis browns that right. couldn't exist <laughs> in a two-team market in st louis you know right Maybe maybe long term it might be best for them. I don't know, but uh, but it's kind of strange.
0: I'm troubled when anybody, you know, that would be like if someone says, We're thinking about moving the Red Sox out of Fenway. Yeah, well, yeah. It's that kind of thing. Like, like one of the things that I I remarked back when I first stepped foot in this place in the Camden Yards was the only thing that it needed was age. Once this ballpark aids for 20, 30 years, it will be one it of the all time yeah. greats. And it is. They just need it. Look, if they were averaging 20,000 fans when they were terrible the last couple of years. Uh, I think all, basically what Baltimore is saying is give us a team we can support that will, that, that that is competitive. And I think the fans will come back. If, if they're, if, if uh, Angelo's sons move the team, I think it'll be, a, it's just, it'll be a tragedy.
1: Well, you know what this makes me think is that next year, you know, the Cubs will be playing American league East teams. Maybe we could go to Camden yards. And yeah. get some pretty cheap tickets. So, yeah, you know. right,
0: right. <laughs> Basically we probably could, even though the Cubs, the way they play, they'll probably lose on the road out to the Orioles.
1: That's right. Well, next uh, year is next year. We'll worry about right. that next year, but now <laughs> this weekend is playing players weekend and this yeah. is when they come up with these kind of odd uniforms and right. they allow players to pick a nickname rather than their regular name and put it on the back of their uniform and Correct. there's been some good but there's also been some bad yeah you know i mean go ahead well i, I just think that um, this is great and it's great for baseball
0: my issue is the uniforms themselves yeah. so it looks like we're watching a cricket game out there these guys with these all black so uh, in the winter when you make these decisions the idea that you would wear an all black uniform is probably good on paper it's not so good in reality when it's 90 degrees out and you're wearing a completely black uniform and it, and by the way it's all the road teams they're at complete yeah. disadvantages these uniforms Especially in, a, in, a, in some of these cities that are, that have huge issues with humidity, yeah. like the like Chicago does, it, it has over the last. Uh, fortunately, it's been cooler this weekend. But I just think overall,
1: it's. It's it, The uniforms look like crap. Yeah, well, the, the Cubs were joking in the dugout. You know, uh, Madden said they looked like they were all serving ice cream. He's like, two scoops? Anybody two scoops? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. yeah, you know, and I would say, you know, Joe, you are. Your pitchers are serving up nice ice cream cones to, to the nas- uh, national hitters who are absolutely crushing the Cubs right now. So we'll get well, to that in a second. I just think that the, the uniforms look like crap. They, I, uh, I, I like the idea. You know, the Cubs wore – their nicknames last week at uh at the little league world series which and was whims- great yeah. um but but i just get
1: rid of the uniforms first of all in the white uniforms you can't even read the back of the uniform exactly exactly i mean what's the point of putting a number and a nickname on the back of a uniform if you can't read it right. i mean come on right. no it, it was a bad idea and somebody needs to get fired over this <laughs> you know but well anyway i'm just glad you know i'm, I'm just glad it wasn't my idea Correct. (laughs) But, uh, all right, so now uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres uh, just sustained an injury. He will be out for the rest of the regular season, and this pretty much guarantees that the Rookie of the Year Award will be won by uh, the Mets' Pete Alonso.
0: Yeah, this is a tough, tough break for uh, Tatis, who's, by the way, somewhat injury-prone. This is his third major injury in the last couple years. People are starting to say, kind of like they say about Baez, um, that maybe it's it's your um, you know leather neck uh, play uh, that that's causing these injuries. He throws caution to the wind. As, yeah, like, he really plays. Like, a, yeah, yeah. It, it's like I said. It, 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 if you watch him play, which is great as a fan to watch, it's not so good on your body. And I think you know. It, and he's like, there's no way I'm not changing my style at all. Just like Baez has said too. I I do think that when you throw yourself around on the field like that. And you're a bigger guy, let's let's say I would say as a shortstop in the major league, I'll bet you he weighs more than any other shortstop. Yeah. yeah. From and if, and I know it's all muscle, but I just think you really gotta take a look at that. And the the sad thing is from a win above replacement for this year, he ended up with four point two. That's exactly what Mr. Alonzo's is, is four point two. So it was really a legitimate rookie of the year battle i think alonzo would have won because again with 40 home runs chicks dig the long ball and usually that's what's going to be memorable about the the rookies campaign this year is the 40 well he'll end up with 45 home runs basically um i don't know Well,
1: alonzo has some other things going for him too mean he plays in the new york market and the mets are are kind of they're contending you know now they're kind of you know the padres are way out of it so true true so but uh, all right so uh Red Sox starter Chris Sale, former White Sox pitcher, he is done for the regular season with an injury to his elbow, and it's and he's he probably wouldn't be able to pitch in the playoffs, assuming that the Red Sox would even make it. Um he got what's called a platelet rich plasma injection into his left elbow, which you know is very, the-
0: that whenever you hear those words, that typically means that you're going to see arm problems out of that pitcher moving forward. Really? That's ne- yes. It's, it's a new modern way. They didn't have this years ago and it has, it has um, kind of taken on the the effect of a like a cortisone shot to a certain degree. It gives yeah. you a false false sense. And so it's really sad. And the reason why um, I wanted to talk about Chris sale is just how great of a pitcher that he's been. And hopefully he's able to kind of, you know, recover and turn it around a la you Darvish because baseball and Boston needs Chris Sale. They really do.
1: They really do. And uh, I'm not a fan of the Red Sox, but I certainly right. always like Chris Sale. And and when he was with the White Sox, you know, everybody talked about this crazy way he would pitch, which is, you know, he's a big, tall, thin, gangly yep. sort of guy in the way that that left arm would sort of whip from the right. side towards the, you know, towards the plate. They always said that he would be injured sometime soon, but when he was with the White Sox, it never happened. And I think right. that that's a big part of why the Red Sox gave him all that money. But, uh, but now, you know, maybe it's catching up with him and maybe he's going to have some big arm problems going forward, as you suggest. Well, you know?
0: I, I hope not, but again, whenever <laughs> you hear platelet-rich plasma that it's, it's it's akin to hearing um you know that you're getting a cortisone shot. And if if you ever hear a pitcher's getting a cortisone shot. That basically what you're saying is I'm injured, but we're going to mask that injury to get you through the rest of the season.
1: I think some creative bartender might invent a drink called the platelet rich plasma. And it might be like uh, a bloody Mary kind of thing with vodka and maybe some odd things. Maybe, I don't know. We could figure something like that. Yeah,
0: Maybe put a tendon in there or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the Chicago Cubs. We had a very uneven week and it begins with, um, uh, the the game they play at the little at the site of the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, um, they had a lot of fun. It looked like the players just really enjoyed themselves, and and uh, I think the Cubs of all teams really needed that because uh, it, whatever happened, it catapulted them into winning their first road series since I don't know May, right? Right. Yeah. So. Right.
0: Yeah. It, it, well, it, first of all, the Cubs' sense of fun is 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 well-documented, yeah. and it's almost legendary at this point. The idea that Rizzo and even the manager went up to the hill and was sliding down on a uh,
1: on a piece on a, of cardboard,
0: or, yeah. Well, yeah, apparently Rizzo bought somebody a big-screen TV and used the, the box that it came in uh, <laughs> as a sled. That,
1: that I didn't hear. Yeah, That's yeah. True.
0: Well, that was... Well, really cool. the, the announcers mentioned it. They didn't say what happened with the TV or who he gave it to. Uh, but, you know, Rizzo is one of the... Most benevolent players in the major leagues. Yes, in fact, I think they, they they've rated like his um, cancer um, uh, group or foundation Camp, yeah, that he, right. that supports as one of the two or three best in the majors. Some some players have basically shell charities that they support, and and but Rizzo's not one of those guys. No, he, he, he walks,
1: walks the walk. He really correct, does. He does. Correct.
0: He, he, you know, he'll visit kids in hospitals on the road, not just in Chicago. He's really, really one of baseball's great ambassadors. And he certainly, in fact, if you're thinking about these little leaguers, which all of the major league players remarked, I never played in the little league world series. they, They really were kind of bowing to these kids, but nobody more so than Rizzo, who just, he just does a tremendous job. I could I could easily see Rizzo having a, a career in coaching when his baseball career is over because he's so good with with the kids and he's so he, you know he's just he's just a stand up guy. Uh, he really is.
1: And you know he hit that home run and right. then he got the ball and then he wanted to give it to the Japanese to a player on the Japanese little league team. And which he, he did. Which he did. And he asked Hugh Darvish to translate for him which Correct. I thought was really nice. And he does that number one to, to be nice to the Japanese players, but he also does that to kind of make Darvish feel more a part of the team too. So, you know, he's very, I don't know. He he's, he thinks about these things and I really like that. Uh, he's part of my team and it makes, it makes me feel good about being a Cubs fan. I don't know.
0: Well, well, well you know, the whole weekend they had a bunch of players mic'd up. Uh, Chris Archer did a really good job of sitting with a couple of the little league teams during the game. Cause he wasn't pitching, but uh, Rizzo had a great exchange with, uh, with Nick, uh, Nick uh, Castellanos, where he basically said, "Hey, you're not used to playing on Sunday night." It was kind of a dig against the Tigers, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, Nick Nick has kind of played along with them. And then that was right before Rizzo hit that home run, and uh, yeah, he was, he was coaxing the ball out at, as he hit it. But but it, it was just a fun day it was ha- had by all. I think it should be it should become a staple on the major league uh, schedule that two major league teams play next to the uh, Little League World Series every year if I ran the show.
1: Did you notice that Jason Stark said this was the first time in the history of baseball that a team, a visiting team, played in three Pittsburgh cities uh, in one, in one, I guess, road trip? So they played in it, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and in Williamsport. That has never I was, happened. Well, I
0: was going to read Stark, but I saw that there was seven chapters <laughs> that I had to get through.
1: Uh <laughs> You know what you have to do with that is you kind of have to pick and choose your spots. When you read Jason Stark in The Athletic, you kind of have to – you know, you have to look at the bullet headline and say, okay, this might interest me, or then move on. Because it does – it is like a little like reading War piece Peace. You know, well, to,
0: the, what I do is I put my mouse uh, thing on scroll real slow, <laughs> and I just kind of like a speed read through it, um, and like you said. But tremendous writer. That's no, he nothing. does, and, and,
1: and he – you know, always comes up with brilliant stuff. There's, he there's does.
0: great. He does. you know. Well, but, he, uh, but he's in search of the arcane, and yeah. I think that that's something that that is a, a that is a value and. The athletic is there's a reason why it costs money to read it. It's a it's a it's a great online publication. It rivals the greatest writing that you'll see in the New York Times, Washington Post. So
1: yeah, it really
0: it really does. But what what
1: happened to our buddy Big Nick Big Dick Nick? Big Dick Nick Nicholas Castellanos. He gets well. A couple things happen. Number one, he gets emotional during an interview uh, with Lawrence Holmes when he's asked about coming to the Cubs, and and Holmes played like a quote from um, Joe Madden about how happy he was. To have Castellanos with him, and Castellanos just—he started crying. It yeah. must have been terrible for him in Detroit. You well,
0: know, you know, I think the problem that uh, Nick had in Detroit is that you know, when he broke in in 2013, uh, the Tigers were in, went to the World Series, and so he watched a, a Max Scherzer, a Verlander, you know, Sanchez, uh, Rick uh, Rick Portello. Um, um, Was Martinez um,
1: was Victor Martinez on that team?
0: Victor Martinez, but he was injured quite a bit that year. And then of course you got Cabby. It was difficult for him to watch that great team kind of just get broken uh, up. Yeah. Evaporate. And so it was more of that than anything else. Plus the fact that let's be honest. Castillo has really given us a shot of adrenaline oh, as a team. Oh, no,
1: absolutely. Uh, Castillo's it, just been yeah. I yeah. mentioned
0: it before. I think he's the perfect two-hole hitter. You talked we talked about the fact that he's looking to maybe get to 60 doubles, which I think at this point may not happen because he's had one double since we've talked about it. But I, I, I do think that it, that it's just one of those classic win-wins, and the Cubs have to re-sign this kid. I think they have to go out. They have and again in two or three years, they're going to have such problems because, you know, the, the young yeah, players. Heavy. like yeah, Right. right. I, I don't know where they're going to get all the money, but, but hopefully we can kind of keep this team intact to a certain degree. But he's just been a refreshing addition to the team, and it's always great to see a player like him um, who's an old school guy. We've already talked about that. Be, you know, he's just happy. It was like he was, he, he was like the dog at the pet store that was saved.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's what you, he's yeah. like. Yeah, that's what he did. And you know, the Cubs played a few really wild games against the Dodgers. And they swept them, right? And uh, amazingly, they, and amazingly. And then he was on base in the bottom of the eighth inning, and they were down. Um, they were down, I think, what was it, 11 to 10, <laughs> and Bryant hits a home run, right. and the Cubs take the lead, and it was as if Castellanos had hit the home run. Right. He was just right. pumping his fist and just going crazy. Like, you know, it was just really exciting, I think, for everybody, and he just gives the Cubs this badly needed jolt of a, of adrenaline, you know?
0: You know, it, the, the Cubs were coming off their first uh, road uh, series win since, I think, April or something like that. And they were facing a Giants team that was on fire, and they yeah. basically mowed them down for three games. They were tight games, but that that middle game when they scored 12 runs on that Brian home run, that was just a classic. That well, it really was because season. it was a
1: game where they had led 6-2, to two and the Giants had come back to take the lead, and there were all these lead changes. But then, you know, it just looks so terrible for the Cubs. When they're down, you're like, oh, another bad loss. And then Bryant hits one out, and then the whole place just goes crazy. And then what was really even crazier is that they score 12 runs on Wednesday night, and then Thursday afternoon they only score a single run uh, and win their fifth in a row, which was nuts behind Kyle Hendricks.
0: great starting pitching. Um, Kyle is – Kyle is a beast in, in games like that. He, we've talked about it before, but he, he so reminds me of uh, Greg Maddox. Oh, yeah. That um, he's on our team. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the bullpen is still, you know, causing fits for the Cubs. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, but Rowan Wick and Jeff Ryan are kind of uh, proving their worth. And that's a good thing, right? Because it looks like Brandon Murrow is done for the
1: year. Well, well, it, it's like, you know, Theo Epstein took his pan and stuck it into the sand and shook the water out, and he yeah. was able to find two tiny nuggets of gold in Rowan Wick right. and, and, and Kyle Ryan. So, so, yeah, they are proving their worth, and they're going to need them going forward uh, because this team, you know, assuming it, it even qualifies for the playoffs, I mean, winning the division may even be a, a pipe dream. Correct. um, But uh, they're going to need these guys going forward, so that's
0: good. It's funny because the Cubs don't – to me, they don't feel like a playoff team. I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I kind of think they're just going to miss it because even if they make it, they're not going to go very far. They may may lose them if they get to go to the play-in game. I wouldn't think that they would get past it because they'll be on the road for sure. But the story really – is about Brandon Morrow the 21 million dollars that Epstein paid him and the fact that we've gotten zero
1: well not zero, zero but yeah we've well you know, it's yeah. damn
0: near zero return for that money yeah. and based on what i'm reading Epstein is basically saying it was a mistake yeah and that is tantamount to to me that they're, 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 they're going to cut him loose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's malpractice on the part of the general manager and president of baseball
0: yeah, operations right. who, who's probably going who could fire the manager, but this is a case where this is on Epstein. It I'm is concerned. on Epstein
1: because if they had Morrow, they, they're, you know, if they had had Morrow to, to any degree, they, their record would be completely different. They, they might, instead of having, instead of being a game and a half out of first place, they might be four or five games in first place so right but Correct. uh but you know that's the way it goes and I also think that when you when you consider the Cubs this year just assume that they're not going to make the playoffs yes. and then after that you'll be surprised by anything good that happens after that you know what I mean it's just it it's tough because they lose the first two to the Nationals and the Nationals just look so much better I mean, they are because well, they are better. They are better. Yeah, they are better. And that's the reality. I mean, this isn't a this is not an issue of just, hey, the Nationals just played better this week. Correct. No, they're a better team than the Cubs. Are. The Cubs they have are real problems. Team. The Cubs are need great. to reshuffle this deck and figure it out for next year.
0: You know, well, if if you go back to the beginning of the season, you know, I, I thought Philadelphia would win that division. You picked Washington. You picked them. Yeah, I did pick them. They're not gonna win the division.
1: Well, will they? But I don't
0: know. The, I don't know. They're they, they're they're arcing really well right now. And basically the, I don't know, I don't know how you're gonna beat them. When when uh when Annabelle Sanchez pitches like he pitched the other day, yeah, you know,
1: she's really she's really something else. She really, she really is. And uh and I'm glad for Dave Martinez and I'm happy too. for Nationals. So me too. But uh but but you know, we were talking about bullpen arms. And, um, you know, the Cubs struggles in the bullpen. You know, everybody is aware of that. But but this is really – every team in the majors has the same problem. Correct. You know, I, I was looking. The Cubs had 23 blown saves. Did you know the Dodgers have 21? That well, is... yeah, that,
0: yeah. I'm not surprised because Jensen has struggled mightily. Yeah. Uh, and he's definitely not the pitcher that he used to be. And um, I sent you that link to that one article where it's basically saying that the um, – in the past the past thirty forty years,, yes. the relief pitchers have outpaced the starting pitchers, and that 's not the case anymore and, and obviously you 're seeing that with the fact that the cubs the cubs actually are surprisingly not as bad on the road from a relief standpoint as a lot of other teams. Yeah. Some t- some teams are just God awful on the road. And then you've got teams like Colorado like, where, where Wade Davis at home can't get anybody out as their closer. So the relief, it's not just the Cubs that are struggling there, but I'm only concerned with the Cubs. That's why I, I harp on it so bad. And also why I get on Madden's case is only because he sticks with the same pitchers doing the same results where I think, you know, call up all 10 relief really pitchers you have in Triple Get My point is, if if these guys can't get it done, get somebody else who can't get it done. But at least take your chance on somebody. And that's why you're seeing, you know, uh, Rowan Wick and Jeff Ryan start to kind of, at the beginning of the year, if we would have mentioned those
1: two guys, both of us would have been like, who are they? Who are they? Exactly. Who's Rowan Wick? Come on. But now right. he's, a, he's a linchpin, if you could even call it that. But right. I mean, that article you, you cited, um, about how all across Major League Baseball, bullpens and relievers are, are not performing well. And this is the first time since 1973 yeah, where so. starter, starting pitching, uh, starting pitchers on a per inning basis are outperforming relievers. It, it is yeah. an- again, one of the disturbing trends that are happening because it, you know the trend was to bullpen, to get starting pitchers out of the game, before they could face a lineup a third time and get these relievers in there, well, now we are seeing sort of the consequences of that. So, you know. And
0: so there's one thing I wanted to mention before we move along on this subject, and that is I really think they've got to take a close look at Pedro Strope and what he's doing right now because he either has an arm problem, he's either tired, or he's done. It's one, because he cannot, I, I've watched his last three outings and it's like, you're killing us, bro. Yeah, you've yeah, got, yeah. You, you are the new Carl Edwards Jr. I don't look, I know. First of all, we both know he's a tremendous clubhouse guy. Yes. They, they, they love, love this guy. They love but, yeah. but at the major league level, you've got to do your job. And if you can't do your job, then well we got to find somebody
1: else that can do the job, but I think they have to address the issue. Is this the end of Pedro's stroke? Well, I mean, he's had such a good track record pitching with the Cubs. I think that you have to give him a chance to sort out the issues and you have to try to find out what's wrong. Maybe it is an issue, a health related issue, something wrong with his arm. Maybe he needs surgery. I don't know, Right. but he's been so good. You have to think that he can get it back, but, uh, but I have serious doubts that he'll be able to get it back any time this year. You
0: know? Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. But the, my point is, Madden, stop throwing him out there in close games. You just got to stop it. Yeah, yeah. You, and, and I think he has to a certain extent. I think Wick and Ryan have sort of assumed some of those roles. And now you have a speed pass pass, you know, Steve Seashack. Yeah. So, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that's a whole other subject.
1: <laughs> that is. But uh, but but, uh, but one last thing about the Cubs, Rizzo was injured in uh, yesterday's loss to the Nationals. yeah, Again, it's uh, tightness in his sort of middle back. He's had this before. Generally, he's out for a week, maybe two. But again, it's another blow to a team that uh, can't afford too many more. No, you know? it's
0: not, especially if based on how bad Lester was the day before. Um, you know, the, the, I, just wanted, I just wanted to mention one last thing about the whole John Lester thing. You know, he's, he's now saying, hey, I'm, I'm the weak link. I'm, I, I stink. I'm terrible. Well, you and I talked about this in April, and I think I was the one that said you're going to start to see the decline of John Lester. I think you're seeing it. I think you but,
1: are seeing it. Uh, I think he's sadly. capable of coming back and pitching well. I don't think that he's something, though, that you can rely on for the playoffs, certainly not as a starter. He would probably have to go to the bullpen. Well,
0: that's interesting that you say that because I was thinking about what my rotation would look like, and there's no doubt he would be at the back of the rotation. He He would would not be the number
1: one guy. I think you have to if if you're playing in a one-game play-in game, you know, then you have to play. You have to start either Hendricks or Darvish. I think or Quintana or Quintana. Quintana.
0: And any given day, Quintana's pitched as well as anybody. But I don't think it's Cole, and I don't think it's Lester. I think those guys are like gravy pitchers. But in a short series, you're right. They've got to they've got to use Hendricks, Darvish, and Quintana to get the job done.
1: Yeah, sad.
0: Sad. And so the problem with this Rizzo injury is that this is the same back injury that he had earlier in the season, you can expect that he's going to be out for a week or so, which is a problem in the sense that he just started getting his swing back, um, in the last week. So this is a tough, tough loss. It is a tough loss. They they didn't really need him. Hopefully he didn't hurt his back going down that Hill in Pennsylvania.
1: Well, I doubt that was the case, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but all right, so that's it for the Chicago Cubs. Let's begin our discussion on our favorite foreign films and, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we talked about this. We've been kicking this subject around for a while. And I really wanted to go with uh, Bella Puck, which was an Academy Award winner for Best Foreign Film back when it was made. And it's a wonderful movie about a, uh, a soldier who had deserted the uh, Spanish Army. This is in sort of the early, 20, or early 19th century or late 19th century, early 20th century. And uh, he ends up hooking up. He sort of seeks shelter at the home of an artist. And the artist has four beautiful daughters, one of them yes. played by, by the beautiful Penelope Cruz, yes, who had no to be doubt. a teenager at the time. And he <laughs> right. sleeps, the soldier sleeps with all four of them. And it's, right. it's a hilarious sex comedy that I loved. But, uh, but, but since then, I've actually moved on to the film that I really wanted to talk about, and that was uh, The Motorcycle Diaries. Which right. uh, is, I think, going to be my choice for my favorite foreign film, which is the story of uh, a young Che Guevara and a motorcycle trip that he takes from Buenos Aires all the way up to, to, to Venezuela with his good friend and uh, who's a, a colleague from medical school, the Dr. Jorge Granados. So right. that was a really tremendous movie. A movie you've seen, I'm, I assume. He,
0: oh, I saw it when it came out. I saw it on the big screen. Um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of uh, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal. Gail, yeah,
1: Gael Garcia Bernal, right?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, as an actor, I, I've seen a, a couple of his uh, um, Spanish-speaking films. Oh yes. Um, uh, which was I can't think of the one that was before it, which was tremendous.
1: E tu mamá también. Exactly. I, I saw
0: that in the theater, and it was a glorious film. Um, and this one ju- is just as good. Um, I just, I, what I really loved about this film was the, you know, the, the, the story attached to, you know, uh, Guevara, the, yeah.
1: you know, the Che Guevara. So, well, you see, you see a sort of, you know, Guevara is, is sort of historically remembered as this revolutionary, this sort yeah. of, you know, he's very, you know, he wanted to basically line up the bourgeoisie against the wall and get them shot But you see a sort of a a more tender side of him. For sure. And uh, this guy, Granados, who lived, uh, he was still alive when the movie was made, living in Cuba. Um, You know, he he, and the movie was made from his own diary. So all the things that happened in the movie were all true. And it's very, very funny. They're adventures. But it's also very, you know, it's bittersweet at the same time because you see the poverty that exists in South America and the way that poor people are forced to live. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a I think it's a wonderful movie because it really has so many facets to it. And you see the tremendous humanity that these doctors had as they travel the length of South America and administer uh, medical care to poor people all over the place. It really is a tremendous film. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend it.
0: So. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is there's a couple of notes to it, is that Shay Shay in some uh, corners is is a savior. You know he's he's one of uh, you see his picture picture on shirts that kids wear today they have no idea who that they have guy no idea is, who
1: he was and what he did and what he meant and he was equ-
0: he was equally despised in some parts as being kind of that line him up against the wall he, right. he 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 was involved in quite a few people losing their lives oh and no, ultimately no, he
1: was no li- listen let's be honest he was no saint. He was, uh, you know, I mean, he was no, a revolutionary and he, he believed in a... violent overthrow of governments. So, yeah. But
0: but that was steeped in his own experience in life. Yeah. And, and he had the equal amount of people that loved and adored him yeah. because he was willing and did give up his life yeah. uh, for, for, for for the things
1: that he believed
0: for the cause. Yes. For the cause. No, the, re- the reason no. why I was always attracted to this story is because it reminded me of the Jack Kerouac, Neil Cassidy story, which is the novel on the road is based yes. on their life of driving around the United States. And it, and it's, you know, without all the murder, of course, there's yes. some, some parallels there. <laughs>
1: no no you're right and the two stories are the same and, it, and, it, and it's a road movie and these guys they get into trouble they have these adventures and they're trying to find places to sleep and they're sleep, they're, and then they're trying to to, to bed women all right. across the continent and it's funny right. and it's human and yep. i love it it's a it's a really good movie yeah so, if, you have,
0: if you haven't seen it go out and see it. it it was a great movie um so for my uh my selection I you know I've seen a, a tremendous amount of foreign films. I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan of uh, Ingmar Bergman. I've been a, a huge fan of Bonnell. I've seen a lot of his films. Um, but I, ultimately, it, it was Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which was made in 1954. Not only is it a, is it a tremendous film, it's my second favorite film next wow. to Citizen Kane, and uh, it, it it just. It, the re, one of the many reasons why I love the film, besides the humanity that these seven unemployed samurais yeah. that were hired by this village that were being constantly, <coughs> uh, you know, and harassed by these bandits, yeah, correct. And they hired these seven ne'er do well samurais to protect them. Just the humanity of, of. These people and how, how they conducted themselves and Kurosawa who has made some of the greatest films ever. His film um, Rashomon is, yes. is, uh, yeah. is, is, is one of the greatest movies ever made. But this one is my favorite just because it, it spawned. Uh, An entire um, film type. And so I just want to, if you'll indulge me for a second, I want to just read a little bit from Roger Ebert's 2001 look back review of the film, where he basically says uh, Seven Samurai is not only a great film in its own right, but the source of the genre that would flow through the rest of the century. The critic Michael Jack suggests that this was the first film in which a team is assembled to carry out a mission, an idea which gave birth to its direct Hollywood remake, The Magnificent Seven, as well as The Guns of Navarone, The Dirty Dozen, and countless later war and heist and caper movies. Since since Kurosawa's samurai adventure uh, Yojimbo was remade as a fistful of dollars and basically created the whole Spaghetti Western, it goes all the way to Star Wars. As far as it can be argued that this is the this the greatest of filmmakers
1: gave employment to action heroes for the next 50 years. Wow. Wow. He's right, though. He's absolutely right. I mean, uh, he this is where it begins. It's the seminal moment. You know, just like you could point to the to the novels uh, by of uh, Edgar Allan Poe yes. giving rise to the detective genre murder mystery sort of thing it, it, you could you could point to the seven samurais doing the same thing correct, you know, for, correct. for its genre
0: it, yeah. it, it, there was a great so that they one of the said that head seven samurai uh, the head of the seven samurais is this older guy uh his character's name is kambi Shimada, and uh he's talking to one of the samurai guys and he's like go to the north the decisive battle will be fought there and the samurai says well you didn't build a fence there and then Shimada said a good fort needs a gap. The enemy must be lured in so we can attack them. If we only defend, we will lose the war. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So
1: that next, next, week yes, we want, next week, we want to take on one of your favorite films. Yes. And that okay, is going to start. be Lawrence of Arabia. We're going to be discussing it because the film is being re-released. Uh, what is it, Dove? Uh, how long has it been? 50, 75 years? I don't know. It, it's
0: the early 60s. Yeah, it's over 50 years. Between.
1: Over 50 years. It's being re-released, so you can go see it in the theaters. I've seen it so many times that I don't need to see it again. <laughs> right. uh, but that's what we'll be talking about next week, and I'm really looking forward to that discussion. And, of course, we'll have all of the news from around baseball, as we always do. So this was a great discussion, as it always is, Tom. I've really enjoyed it this week. I hope you have a great weekend.
0: You too. Uh, take care.
1: All right, man. Over and over, out. Over and out. All right, but.